Hello, and welcome to Skynet Today's Let's Talk AI podcast, where you can hear from AI researchers about what's actually going on with AI and what's just clickbait headlines. This is our latest Last Week in AI episode in which you get a quick digest of last week's AI news, as well as a bit of discussion between AI researchers as to what we think about this news. To start things off, we'll hand it off to Daniel Bashir to summarize what happened in AI last week, and we'll be back in just a few minutes to dive deeper into these stories and give our takes. Hello, this is Daniel Bashir here with our weekly news summary. This week, we'll discuss the White House's AI website, Sammy Bengio's new job, and two autonomous driving stories. To make AI research more accessible across the nation, the White House has launched the website AI.gov. According to Axios, the White House aims to drum up excitement for AI and broaden educational opportunities. The site's target audience is the general public, and it seeks to make public information on AI more visible to people interested in science. Users can learn how AI is being used across the nation, such as in responding to the pandemic. The site is also meant to be a tool to advance research by providing researchers computing and data, and to promote equity in the science space by providing information on scholarship and fellowship programs. Elsewhere in the AI world, Sammy Bengio, the distinguished Google scientist who managed Timna Gebru and left in the tumult following her departure, has recently joined Apple. As Reuters reports, Bengio is expected to lead a new AI research unit at Apple under their senior VP of Machine Learning and AI Strategy, John Gianandrea. Bengio's new role comes after about 14 years at Google, where he was an early leader of the Google Brain research team and played an instrumental part in advancing deep learning. Next up, unless you're Tesla, if you're building a self-driving vehicle, then you're probably using a LiDAR sensor. Many automated driving systems today use LiDAR systems that come from Silicon Valley-based Velodyne LiDAR. But according to Forbes, Pittsburgh-based Argo AI is using its own internally developed sensor to meet its performance requirements. While the highest performance Velodyne rotating sensor was considered insufficient for highway speeds, Argo's LiDAR claims significantly better performance. Better resolution and range capabilities will allow Argo's sensor to create higher quality images for its vision algorithms to use in classifying targets, ultimately producing a safer driving system. Moving over to China, Chinese tech giant Baidu has recently rolled out a paid driverless taxi service and become the first company to commercialize autonomous driving in China. According to Tech Explorer, this is the first time Baidu has had a demonstration with no safety driver sitting behind the wheel. Instead, the safety member sat in the front passenger seat. Up to 10 robot taxis are operating simultaneously in an area of 1.2 square miles, transporting passengers between eight stops in Shilgong Park in western Beijing. Baidu is known for its search engines, but began testing autonomous driving on the open road last year. Its robo-taxi service has carried more than 210,000 passengers in three cities across China and aims to expand to 30 cities in the next three years. That's all for this week's news roundup. Stay tuned for a more in-depth discussion of recent events. Thanks, Daniel, and welcome back, listeners. Now that you've had a summary of last week's news, feel free to stick around for a more laid-back discussion about this news by two AI researchers. I'm Dr. Sharon Joe, a graduating fourth-year PhD student in the machine learning group working with Andrew Ng. I do research on generative models and applying machine learning to medicine and climate change. And with me is my co-host... 
And I am Andre Kronkov, a third-year PhD student at the Stanford Vision and Learning Lab. I focus mostly on learning algorithms for robotic manipulation and reinforcement learning. And let us just dive straight in, as we usually do, with a first story from the South China Morning Post titled, <clears throat> China Makes World's Largest Satellite Image Database to Train AI Better. And this is all about the FAIR-1M database, the fine-grained object recognition in the high-resolution remote sensing imagery database uh, released from um, the Aerospace Information Research Institute in Beijing. Uh, and yeah, as it's indicated, this is kind of a way bigger satellite imagery database. It has uh, 15,000 high-definition satellite images with uh, something like 1 million uh, scenes. So it has very, very um, precise labels, for instance, specific models of airplanes, specific types of uh, sports courts, baseball field, basketball court, those are different, different kinds of roads, uh, etc. So perhaps unsurprising, but uh, you know, interesting in that, as with any other field of AI, uh, uh, satellite imagery has been getting more and more uh, explored and, and you know we have more and more data sets and this is the latest uh, example of just getting bigger and bigger so yeah uh, Sharon any thoughts so it is a large I think labeled database so it's very densely labeled with 1 million labels I would say the number of scenes 15,000 is actually not that large uh, probably what's remarkable is just how densely labeled things are uh, to help with training these models and uh, probably what's useful is that these are uh, high definition um, or high resolution excuse me high resolution images uh, to train our models so that they can you know see things pretty closely uh, and there are a ton of different objects um, that you can imagine as Andre pointed out you know it's not just airplane or road and it's like the type of roads like an inter intersection or roundabout the type of airplane you know boeing 747 kind of thing um that'll help uh these algorithms significantly one one thing that i thought was interesting is that they've also started to use uh, some of this ai trained on satellite imagery china has uh to track the speed of city expansion uh in xinjiang as well as uh how movements of wild animals on the Tibetan plateau uh, have gone uh, to the construction of different infrastructure um, for the Belt and Roads initiative uh, that China has been pushing out uh, for, for quite some time. And I mean, what's not said here is like, obviously there are some interesting civilian related issues uh, uh, with a lot of, you know, the minority groups in China, uh, obviously the Uyghurs and stuff like that, that I imagine might be also used for, for surveillance here. Um, but overall, I think it is exciting to start leveraging some of this giant database and start to put labels on them um, such that we can actually build our vision models to be much more powerful. Yeah, exactly. I think there are, you know, ways to take this cynically and probably uh, not without reason, but at the same time, this is a data set that will be released publicly. Actually, this article notes that in May, AI researchers from many countries will compete in Beijing for a trophy awarded for satellite image recognition technology uh, using this data database. 
So the intent here does seem to be generally to, you know, drive progress in the field. And there's a lot of useful applications of satellite imagery beyond, uh, you know, beyond tracking, you know, for farming, for, I don't know, <laughs> I, I actually don't know the details, but I'm sure there are. So, um, yeah, it's, it's neat to note, I guess, that in addition, you know, there's now many, many different t types of data sets. And this is one of them that, you know, might be uh, not covered in the news as much, but it's still interesting. Yes. And very relevant to, you know, climate applications and stuff like that. Like I can imagine being useful for, uh, for some of, for some of those things. But uh, back to more of a classic topic that we uh, seem to get back to a lot on this podcast, uh, enough that we are, might be getting a bit tired of it, but you know, it is what it is. We have our next article, how to stop AI from recognizing your face in selfies from the technology review. And this is a pretty short piece that is really just highlighting two papers from uh, Eichler having to do with uh, artificial uh, with face recognition and in particular how to prevent face recognition from working on particular photos. So one of them is uh, a system called Fox that uses somewhat you know, relatively established ideas, but uh, is more of a system and, and has a thing you can download. Uh, on its project website. And then another paper is uh, working with a slightly different kind of more novel idea, it looks like, that uh, might work better at some context. So um, yeah, interesting to have an article written about fairly brand new research in this way. Uh, what did uh, you think about these two uh, papers, Sharon? These papers were interesting. Uh, I think the the second one almost fooled me in terms of uh, what it was about because originally when I took a glance at it, I thought you know this is just adversarial examples uh, on on your image, um, but it's it's not just that they're actually looking at reducing the error on your image so that. Uh, instead of adversarial examples where we add different noise, you know, to fool the model, to make it think that it's something uh, for this, it's that it kind of fools the model into thinking it, it is actually a good example and that there's nothing to learn from it anymore. And I thought that was a clever approach. Um, and the other paper uh, does largely fall back on the original type of adversarial examples that we have seen before, but it builds out this entire system around it and then starts to evaluate it against you know, real data and, and real attacks and see how well it does, does actually work. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, I think what especially neat, uh, aside from, you know, the papers themselves, uh, is this article notes that this Fox tool has already been downloaded nearly half a million times. And, uh, in their paper, actually just like looking at the, uh, introduction and their contributions it's it says experiments show 100% success against state of art facial recognition services from microsoft amazon and face plus plus and they share their cloaked photos as training data and then apply the resulting models to uncloaked uncloaked test images of the same person so um yeah i think it's cool to see maybe 
a more more applied uh, paper of the sort, less theoretical. Of course, we've seen kind of uh, similar things, but you know, this Fox paper seems to be much more having to do with real world systems. And in fact, you know, looking at the paper that was originally published in June, looks like it was uh, also part of a security symposium uh, besides Eichler. So, uh, yeah, I think always interesting to see kind of <laughs> things that might prevent facial recognition from, uh, being ubiquitous and unavoidable. Uh, Still probably, you know, not warranting to not be worried about it, but at least uh, it does show that there's some potential in the future to kind of gu uh, guard against it. Right. I think it's also cool that this is a example of a real world system that takes research one step further into the real world, but still is packaged in the same way as research in terms of a paper. And I hope to see more of this moving forward as we, you know, there's a lot of cherry picked examples when it comes to research, but, you know, it, it makes us beg for more, it makes us beg for, you know, does this actually work? Uh, and so this, I, I think the Fox paper really emphasized that. Well, speaking of, you know, dark things of, you know, facial recognition. Our next article uh, from Wired is titled, It Began as an AI-Fueled Dungeon Game. It Got Much Darker. And this article is about AI Dungeon, which is an online game where you get to uh, basically use GPT-3 or some kind of text generation tech uh, to make your own adventure a game. And you get to like just talk with it, you know, via text and and design your own game. Uh, we've covered this before, uh, but recently there's been, you know, a lot of talk about how uh, AI Dungeon, because it's just generating, you know, different storylines can generate some pretty inappropriate storylines. Uh, for example, I think the biggest one that, that kind of made the news is involving, you know, pedophilic, uh, scenarios and that's not great and it's kind of like oh shoot how much uh, we need to probably bring in moderation you know to to help with help with controlling these things um yeah this uh, i think was a slightly controversial topic uh well so this article covers that you know um moderation tools were added by the company that created the game uh, and the prompting of OpenAI, it seems like uh, the CEO of Sam Altman, uh, CEO of OpenAI, Sam Altman, says that um, in this case the moderation decision is not difficult. They basically, you know, said you have to uh, do something to avoid this sort of scenario. And the users of this tool uh, actually were pretty unhappy about it, right? In the sense of um, you're sort of limiting the creativity or freedom of the user base. Um, and uh, yeah, it's on the one hand, it's obvious that you shouldn't allow um, really inappropriate things like uh, sexual encounters involving children. I guess what people might take issue with is if these are kind of crude attempts at moderation that... Um, and end up uh, overreaching. So for instance, um, some were cited as complaining that it was oversensitive and I could not refer to an eight-year-old laptop without triggering a warning message. And I think that is really getting into what is tricky here is how do you 
really get at you know actually uh, inappropriate things versus maybe unintentionally inappropriate sounding things. Uh, where do you draw the line, etc. You know, I think there are a lot of questions here, and uh, I think it's good that you know this is a case study because you know at least this is a game. You know, it's it's uh, this text-based narrative game, but as we get uh, ever more powerful systems like Clip, where you can use some you know text to describe to generate anything you want. I could imagine, you know, many more examples where AI can be used to create very inappropriate, you know, yeah, really, really bad stuff. And we're going to need to figure out how to deal with that. And and this is kind of a good example of that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Basically, it was it was coming eventually. Uh, but yeah, I think it definitely is presenting itself as an opportunity to to, you know, add some reins to the model. Yeah, one more thing I saw was um, this argument that people are always going to misuse tools, right? So, uh, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's up to the user to not do bad things, not up to the tool. And I did see a good counter argument to that, that, um, you know, with AI, it may not be the user's intention. Like, the AI could just, like... <laughs> randomly throw in some sexual stuff right and uh that not being the intent and also i thought that was an interesting point and and that you know we do need to figure out how to steer our ai systems in some ways which is i think a pretty big problem with ai overall is like how do you control know the limits of uh validate the performance of your ai systems and I guess in this sort of narrative context, art context, um, that takes this kind of meaning. But of course, there are a lot of other contexts like self-driving cars, like reinforcement learning, where there is kind of the same problem of like, you never really know what your AI is going to do. There are some things you don't want it to do, but that's super challenging to actually uh, accomplish. Right. It's really hard to regulate and give it boundaries when you can't really predict what it'll do or control necessarily. Um, Because I think I I imagine, you know, for, you know, explosives or guns or something, we have regulation and we don't just give it to the user and let them do whatever they want with it. You know, there's still some some control over that. Like you don't like hurt another person with it. That's not legal. And so I feel like there are still ways to control it that needs to happen um, and can happen. Uh, but I think it is harder because it's not as clear cut or not as easy to, to draw the line anywhere uh, for the AI systems. Exactly. And, and just one more thing this brings to mind is um, I did see a study, a paper that was released fairly recently that demonstrated that GPT-3 has a pretty potent anti-Muslim bias. Like it, it wouldn't take much uh, sort of insinuation or, or just bringing up random topics it could really lead it to spew some fairly negative portrayals, you know, stereotypes and those sorts of things. Like even just bringing up a mosque without a complete can, can go into very negative portrayals. So... Oh, 
Exactly, right? So yeah, uh, many people have been pointing out there's biases, there's um, you know issues of these large language models that will need to be uh, really addressed before making use of them. And this is just yet another example that is you know already out there, I suppose, and an interesting case where something needs to be done already. Right, absolutely. Well, speaking of reining things in, our uh, last article is titled The Autonomous Vehicle World is Shrinking, It's Overdue. And this is by The Verge. And uh, the article basically speaks to how the self-driving car world is you know, becoming smaller. There are fewer players. People are merging together. And also valuations are going down. Uh, and so uh, the CEO of Waymo actually was stepping down. Uh, that's, that was announced last month. And uh, the evaluation of Waymo has gone down uh, nearly 85% decrease since 2018, which is huge uh, decrease, uh, though it is still 30 uh a $30 billion valuation. Um, and so uh, I think people are starting to get, maybe grow more realistic, less hyped uh, about the field and it is consolidating significantly. Yeah, it's, uh, this is a fun article, I think mostly because what we discussed last week of Lyft selling off their autonomous vehicle um, division uh, happened and this this came out right after possibly in part because of that uh, and um it, it notes other things like that aurora merged with uber's autonomous vehicle unit delivery robot startup neuro acquired self-driving truck outfit ike and in general there's been a, a ton of mergers joint ventures and tie-ups that yeah, as, as it says, there's been a lot of uh, consolidation. Uh, and I don't think we've seen, yeah, we haven't seen new startups really. Uh, whereas like in 2015, 2016, it seemed like every every week there was a new company being founded by some AI graduate students, you know, saying they want to do self-driving. Um, but yeah, it seems there's been a real trend of, many companies being bought up, uh, merging, and now there's really only several really huge companies that are aiming at sort of a big problem of robotaxis, self-driving, and these are like Cruise, Waymo, uh, Tesla, uh, maybe Baidu. Um, but yeah, I think other independent companies are more focused on smaller scale problems uh, that are more sort of uh, logistics or something less challenging than a full problem, which I think a lot of people, you know, the engineers on the ground working on these systems probably are not too surprised, right? I think. A lot of people scoffed when Elon Musk predicted that we'd have self-driving cars by 2020 or whatever. And um, yeah, I guess uh, most people are right. right. We don't have it yet. And it seems like it, it's not going to come here anytime soon. But at the same time, we're still making progress and we can still look forward to it. Right. Definitely. And with that, 
Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Skynet Today's Let's Talk AI podcast. You can find the articles we discuss here today and subscribe to our weekly newsletter with similar ones at skynettoday.com. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating and a review if you like the show. Be sure to tune in next Be week. Be sure to tune in next week.